Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Now we are continuing in week two. We are week two of Colossians. And last week, if you remember, we went through Colossians 1 and we talked about Jesus being the creator of all things. He's the ruler of all things. He made all things. And those who have put their faith and hope in Jesus, their trust in Jesus, he has redeemed us and he calls us righteous. That's what we talked about last week. And as we discussed last week as well, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this letter, he'd actually never met these people. He was writing from prison to this church because he had sent somebody. Yes, Lord. He had sent somebody. To, uh, to minister to them, to plant this church, and they plant this church, and it's beginning to thrive. It's beginning to grow, but he hears something going on in the church that he, that he finds displeasing, that he needs to confront immediately. And so he writes this letter to them, to the, to the Colossians, to the church in Colossae, because there were some people in the church that were telling others, uh, yeah, you're saved, but you're not as special as we are. We are... We, are, we, we know secret mysteries of God that you don't know. We have special visions that you don't know. We communicate with angels that you don't communicate with. And began to say these things to make people feel less than or that they didn't have special gifts or special abilities. And they began to put other people down they, as if they say, hey, you don't have the special sauce that you need to really follow Jesus. And they began to make people feel less than in their churches. And then they began to say, well, if you want to be if you want to be like us, if you want to be a good Christian like us, here is a list of do's and don'ts that if you follow these rules, if you follow these regulations, then you might attain the level of Christianity that we have. And in chapter 2, Paul begins to address this. They begin to say, look, if you want to be like us, you want to be a good Christian, you don't eat that. Don't eat that. If you want to be like us, a good Christian, you don't drink that. If you're going to, do, if you're going to be like us then you need to make sure you're, you're celebrating all the Jewish festivals, all the Jewish holy days, and you do it in this order and you do it in this way. And they began to lay all these things out to these people, and there began to, er, it began to erode their genuine relationship with Jesus because it began to create this false uh, sense of closeness to God without their ever being close to God at all. And it, it began to challenge what Jesus was trying to do in and through their hearts. Because they weren't experiencing him, they were living through a set of rules and regulations. They're saying, if you really, if you really, really want to know God the way we know God, then you need to also start denying yourself of these natural comforts. Basically, make yourself miserable if you really want to show your true devotion to Jesus. Now, somebody said, Amen. If you really want to know that you're a true disciple of Jesus, be miserable. Deny all yourself of these comforts, and then you can be like Jesus. You can look like Jesus. You'll sound like Jesus. And Paul addresses this in this letter, uh, and he calls it asceticism. That's the, the understanding of denying yourself of natural comforts as a way of becoming more spiritual, a way of becoming more holy. And Paul talks about it directly. He says this starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. My prayer for us this morning is that our hearts would be encouraged. Would you say amen? Our, our, my prayer is that we would leave this place feeling 
encouraged. That was Paul's prayer for them. It's our prayer for us this morning. He says, being knit together in love. I love the illustration that Paul says that we, when we are a church and we are walking in love with one another, that we are encouraging one another, it's as if our hearts have been knitted together. Don't you love that imagery? Like, if you try to pull away from something that's been knit together, you know, the sewing ministry. You try to pull away from something that you've knit together, now it damages both material, doesn't it? And so Paul's saying, I want your hearts to be knit together in love and so that you can't easily walk away from each other. Beautiful illustration. He goes on to say this, to reach, all the, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. What is the full assurance? Knowing that you know that you know that you belong to Jesus. We want to know that we know that we belong to Jesus, yes? Part of that happens when we live in community together, when our love is knit, our heart are knit together. Being in full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Remember in chapter 1, Paul was addressing you know, they were talking about this hidden knowledge that you don't know, and he's saying the fullness, the hidden knowledge is Jesus. So you have Jesus, you have the hidden knowledge. And he begins to point out to them what's going on, and he's and he really confronting this issue of them thinking they have to add things, they have to add other wisdom, other knowledge, other experience, other philosophy to try to fully really know who Jesus is and how to get to God. And, and Paul continues to tell them, if you have Jesus, you don't need to add these other things to make yourself more free or more wise or more knowledgeable. Have Jesus. Hold Jesus. Seek Jesus. And he's going to do all these things in you. The fullness of God is found in Jesus. And he says, hold on to him. Look to him. Seek him. Love him. And he will reveal to you all the things he has in store for your life. Would you say amen to that? that we should hold on to Jesus, that we should look to Jesus, that we should pursue Jesus because he's the one who perfects our faith. We can't make ourselves better, right? We can't make ourselves holier. We can't make ourselves more righteous by doing other things. It's Jesus who perfects our faith. It's Jesus who's gonna sustain us. It's Jesus who gave us his spirit, also known as the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of us, to equip us, to strengthen us, to sustain us, to encourage us. Do you know the Holy Spirit's here to encourage you this morning? Do you know he's here to comfort you this morning? Do you know that he's here to build you up and equip you and strengthen you? How many of you need some strength this morning? How many of you need some purpose this morning? How many of you need some passion this morning? It's it's going to happen in and through the Holy Spirit whom Jesus gives to you. So seek him. Hold on to him. Pursue him. Don't add other things outside of Christ to perfect your faith, hold on to Jesus. Why does, Paul, why does Paul say that? Why is that important? Are you with me this morning? Why is that important? Come on, give me some feedback here. Why is it important that Paul writes, don't add these things? I have a question for us that we're gonna answer. How does it damage our relationship with Jesus when we begin to live by rules and regulations to follow God instead of by faith in Jesus? That's what we're gonna answer. How does it damage our relationship, when we begin to pursue God through rules and regulations and not through faith in Jesus. Why did Paul warn the Corinthian church not to add all of these other things over here to try to help them pursue Jesus and saying, pursue Jesus, seek his face? Why did Paul warn them and why is he warning us today through this scripture? This is what he says in verse chapter, chapter uh, 
Chapter 2, verse 4, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Delude is another way of saying fool. I say all of these things. Don't add these things to your life with Jesus because I don't want you to be fooled by plausible or reasonable arguments that would turn your heart away from Jesus. He's saying, Do, I'm trying to warn you of something. Because in the Colossian church, very much like today, head knowledge was considered the superior knowledge of all knowledges. Of the best way to know about something, it wasn't through experience, it was about head knowledge. If I know about it, then, then I can do it. That, that, that very same thing is in our culture today. We, we say that if I, if I know what is right, then I will do what is right. Yes? That seems very reasonable to us. If I know what is good, then I will do what is good. But how many of you know that that's not the case? Come on, give me, give me some feedback. How many of you know that's not the case? That just because we know what to do does not mean that we do it. We're, in, we're going through a leadership book with our leadership team uh, on the gift of being yourself, and it talks about this, that not all knowledge transforms. Not all knowledge transforms. How do we know that? Can, can I ask you, uh, when's the last time you were texting and driving? Ooh, something, I don't do that, right? Okay, let me say it this way then. When's the last time you saw somebody texting and driving? Uh-huh, yeah, on the way to church, right? You're saying, my husband was the one texting and driving. You saw somebody, right, in the, in, in driving, and, but we know, we know that texting and driving is dangerous. We know that it kills people. It takes lives. It causes accidents because it's drawing your attention away from driving. There's, there's ads out there. There's uh, commercials out there. There's warnings in our schools. They're telling kids when you start to drive, don't text and drive, and yet they still do it because not all knowledge is transformational knowledge. And Paul is saying there are some things in these arguments about these rules and regulations that sound good, but they're not transformational. They're not going to help you become more like Jesus. They're going to get in the way of becoming more like Jesus. And he says this to them, be careful. I write to you this so that these arguments would not persuade you. Yeah, they sound good. They sound right, but they're not going to be transformational. Then he says this in verse 6, therefore... And I, and I want to I make a special note for you. Those, those who, when you're reading your Bible and you, you just pick a verse out and it starts with therefore, back up and see what it's there for, right? You probably heard that. Back up and see what he's talking about. So he's saying, I, I'm writing this to you because I don't want you to be fooled. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What does that mean? How did you come to faith in Jesus? Through faith, that you, you experienced him, yes? You experienced his love for you. You experienced his grace for you. You experienced his freedom that he promised you. And you said yes to him. Paul is saying, continue to follow Jesus that way. You have to experience Jesus, not just know about him. This is what Paul's saying. You need to have relationship with Jesus. Don't just read about him and talk about him as if he's not in the room, as if he's not in your heart as if he's not the one transforming your life from the inside out. You have to know him. You have to feel him. Just like any other relationship that we have with friends, with family members, with spouses, it takes work. It takes intentionality, but we have to be in relationship to really know about them. You can read a book. You can read a biography about somebody's life and know a lot of things about them, but not know them. And Paul's saying the way that you've 
experience Jesus, continue to experience him in that way so that you'll grow. Not through a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, because those are not going to help you. He continues to say in verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How many of you are abounding in thanksgiving today? Are you abounding in thanksgiving? Maybe some of you are saying, I don't have a whole lot to be thankful for. I would disagree. Do you know Jesus? Then you have everything you need. Do you, do you, have you been changed from darkness into light? Have you been set free from the sin that has bound you, so, so entangled you that your life, you couldn't, you couldn't choose something other than the sin that you were caught in? But now Jesus has set you free and you have a choice to walk with him? And that should be something that causes joy and thanksgiving in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. Man, that's good. You felt Jesus' love. He, draw, he drew you to himself. You felt the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, and you said yes to him. Continue to walk in him in that way. Know him. Just don't know about him. Verse 8 says this. So it... Uh, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. So Paul again is saying this, don't try to substitute your experience with Jesus with other things. It's, it's a lot easier to live by rules and regulations than it is to carve out time to build relationship. Would you agree? It's a lot easier to follow a, a, a checklist. It's a lot easier to say, I did this, I did that, than it is to actually converse with somebody, than it is to really sit face-to-face with somebody, to, 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 to invest time and energy and emotion into relationship. And Paul is saying to us, it's easier for us to say, I read my Bible today, I said a prayer today, I did something good today, and never interact with Jesus. Never allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Never allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Never allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. It's easier to say, I did this, I did not do that, I did this, I did not do that, than it is to say, God, I'm going to spend time in your presence. Would you, would you speak to me? What area in my life is not pleasing to you? What area in my life, God, have have I not surrendered to you? And allow him to speak to you in that way and then change it and then allow him to transform you. That's hard, but that's what Paul is saying. Don't substitute your walk with Jesus for all of these other things. Did somebody say amen? If you have Jesus, you don't need to add these things to round out your life in him. Picking up in verse 13, it says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is what he's saying here. What did did God do? God took us who were dead. When you're dead, you don't have a lot of options, right? You can't decide, I'm going to go outside for a walk today. I'm going to, I'm going to do something fun today. No, we're dead, okay? So, so it's not as if we chose to become alive. God chose to make us alive. 
and we said yes to that choosing. We said yes, and we responded to him, and God, is tra- he transformed us from darkness into light, and he forgave us all of our sin, and he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What does that mean? So because of sin, we could not approach God. There was a gap that separated us from him. And so for the people, before Christ came and died on the cross, they had to follow a list of legal requirements to try to make themselves clean enough to encounter God, to to come before God, to receive forgiveness from God. So they did animal sacrifices, and they had these ritual washings and cleansings and all of these things that they had to do to try, with legal demand, to try to come before the presence of, of God. And Jesus... It says he nailed those debts with their, with their legal demands to the cross, which means what? We no longer have to sacrifice lambs and bulls. We no longer have to do these ritual washings and ceremonies. We can go directly into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. You don't need to walk through these hoops. You don't need to jump through all of these hoops and obstacles in your life to try to get a, a, an audience with the Father. You have it immediately when you say yes to Jesus. So now that he did that, why do we go back and try to now create lists of do's and don'ts to walk in, walk in relationship with Jesus? Those things are damaging and are dangerous to our walk. They're dangerous. Sin created the gap, and yet Jesus came and filled the gap with his sacrifice. Paul is saying here, all these things, including the law and its rules, have been Completed, not removed, Jesus fulfilled them and said, now, I, now that it's fulfilled, I set it aside because you don't need that anymore to come and walk in relationship with me. I've nailed your debts to the cross. Did somebody say amen? Jesus took our sin upon himself, destroying its power over us so that we could know him and experience him without a gap of separation. That's why he says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So if this is true, why do we continue to try to add all of these other things to our walk with Jesus? Why do we make it difficult? Why do we make it difficult for ourselves and why do we make it difficult for others who are coming to know Jesus, who are surrendering their lives to Jesus? Especially I see this with, with new believers who come in. Maybe they don't speak right. Maybe their language is flowery, as we would call it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? They drop, they drop F-bombs, and they, you know, they don't know how to speak right in, in people's presence. They, they know Jesus, they love Jesus, but they're, they're, they're going through transformation. You know, maybe they don't dress right. Maybe they don't sound right. Maybe they don't act right. And so we begin to say, hey, let me... Hey, this is what you need to do to be in our church. You need to make sure you, you don't wear that shirt again and make sure you, you cut your hair, you hippie, and make sure you do you know, all of these things and then you can come to church again. I don't see that so much in our churches today, but there are churches around the world that do that to people. That say, jump through these hoops and then you can follow Jesus. And that's what Paul is coming against. You don't need to jump through these hoops. Just follow Jesus. He'll transform you. He'll change you. He'll convict you. Eventually, your language is going to change because James talks about how can, how can sweet water and salt water came out of the same mouth? How can praises for God and curses of men come out of the same mouth? So he'll change you. 
He'll transform you, but it's not my job. It's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And we, we, we pursue him. We submit our lives to him. And then when he convicts us, we say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you call me to do. So verse 16 says this, therefore, ooh, I love that again. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or to a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, that's that idea of self-denial, as a way to prove your worthiness. People go around there all the time. We talked about this before, about when, when Jesus told the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee says, oh, thank God that I, I, I uh, fast twice a day. I give tithe on everything that I earn, and I'm not like that loser over there. And the tax collector is beating his chest saying, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. Yeah? Paul is saying, don't through a list of asceticism think that you're become, because you, sell, you deny yourself, you're becoming more worthy of Jesus. You're never going to be worthy of what Jesus did for us, but he gave it to us anyway. That's called grace. And his grace is what won us, and it's his grace that will sustain us. And he continues and says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of, of angels, going in, on de- going in detail about visions or puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Do you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Then hold fast to him. And recognize that he says, too, growing in Jesus happens when we are in the body being knit together in love, growing into the head at the same time we are being knit together in love. What is Paul saying here? You cannot follow Jesus alone. You cannot do Christianity alone. Come on, somebody. You cannot do it on your own. It's not designed that way. It wasn't created that way, that it's you and Jesus and no one else. You and Jesus and people growing into the knowledge of Christ, he will grow us, and he will establish his church in our hearts, in our homes, in our communities, in this neighborhood, in Madeira, in California, in the world. Amen? But it happens when we grow together in him. We grow in him. So it isn't our self-righteous behavior that's going to save us. It isn't more knowledge about God or our puffed up reason or ability that's going to transform us. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that saved us and will continue to carry us to the end. Amen. So hold on to him. Fall in love with him. Pursue him. Experience him daily. When's the last time you experienced Jesus? When's the last time in your quiet place did you encounter the living God? When's the last time you felt the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, whisper something to your ear, and speak life to you? That that will transform you from the inside out, but certainly not by a list of rules and regulations, a list of do's and don'ts. Now, are there things that we should be doing that reflect a Christian 
transformation, yeah, that's called fruit. It should bear evidence that we're being transformed. But, but just doing the list and not being transformed is a false transformation. And Paul, we're answering the question, why is it dangerous? Why does it damage our relationship with Jesus when we follow God by a list of rules and not by relationship with him? Because it lies to us that we are being transformed when we're not being transformed. Paul continues to say it, and we're going to get to it right now. Verse 20 says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, referring to things that will perish as, you, as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? In other words, these religious regulations do not have the power to save you or draw you closer to God. All of that is accomplished in Jesus. It won't make you holier. It won't elevate you above other believers. It will rob you of real relationship. Basically, rules and regulations are the social media of religion. Because you feel like you're connected to somebody, but you're not connected at all. You feel like you know somebody because you're watching their life from the outside, but you don't know exactly who they are. Social media is robbing us of real relationship, and rules and regulations rob us of real relationship with Jesus. We're, we're clicking the like button on Jesus. We're leaving him a comment. Hey, love what you did on the cross. Keep it up, LOL. Keep in touch. And we lie to ourselves thinking that we have right relationship with him, and we don't. It gives us a false sense of relationship with God because I'm a good person. You'll hear people that even aren't believers say, well, if I'm a good person, then I'll be okay. It's not about our goodness. We'll never be good enough. It's about relationship with Jesus that transforms us. It's relationship with Jesus that changes us. I, I can say this. On a personal level, on a level, I'm a better person because of my relationship with my wife. I'm a better man because of my relationship with faith. She challenges me, she pushes me, she encourages me. And it, it, without that, I would not be who I am. But it doesn't mean that it's all rainbows and butterflies. It's tension, the friction that causes the sharpening. And, and sometimes it's easier to love Jesus from a distance because we don't feel the friction and the challenge that he's trying to transform us and make us more like him. Jesus, I love you. You're my homeboy. Please stay over there because I like what I'm doing here. And, and relationship gets messy, but relationship is transformational. I'm grateful for my wife that she challenges me, that she encourages me to keep cooking. I started cooking. And she says she loves my cooking. And so whether it, either I'm a really good cook or she's smart, and she knows that if she continues to compliment me, I'll keep doing it, right? And every man said, amen. We love to be affirmed. You know, hey, you're the best cook I've ever had. Really? Okay, hold up. Let me go make some more of this, right? She, she could be spitting it out later. I don't know, but she, it's good for me to cook. And so transformation happens in relationship. Transformation happens when we surrender to Jesus and not try to keep him at a distance with rules and regulations. This is what Paul says in verse 23, last verse of the chapter. He says, these, talking about the regulations, the rules, these plausible arguments, this philosophy idea, 
coming in and trying to add to it. He says, they have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, self-denial to make yourself look worthy, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. I ask the question again, why is it damaging to try to follow God through a list of rules and regulations and not through relationship with Jesus? Because it makes us look good, but it doesn't actually change us. We'll continue to have the struggle. We'll continue to give in. We'll continue to go back to the, na- the sin that so easily entangled us because we continue to go back to, did I say a curse word today? No. Okay, I'm good. Did I read my, okay. Well, I didn't read my Bible today, but I read it yesterday, so I'm still okay. Did I pray today? I prayed for my food. I'm in good relationship with Jesus. And it's not changing you. It's not transforming us. And Paul wants us to be transformed. I told you that I started cooking and it, what I've learned is that all natural is best. You, you can taste the flavors. You can taste the goodness of all natural. When you begin to eat out, you begin to do all these other things, it's got artificial flavors, it's got artificial colors. It might look good, it might taste good, but it's really bad for you. Paul is saying these rules and regulations might look good, they might feel good, but they're bad for you. Jesus is all natural. He doesn't need additives and preservatives. He is who he is, and he's going to transform us from the inside out. These artificial things are not going to transform us. They're going to hinder us. Why? Is it so damaging to try to follow Jesus through rules and regulations instead of in relationship with him? Because legalism looks good, sounds good, but does not produce holiness or freedom. It doesn't bring you closer to God. In fact, it pushes you further away from him. It causes you to put, wear a mask, even in church. Because if you're trying to follow a list of rules of do's and don'ts and you mess up, you don't want other people to know that you've messed up. So you put on the mask of, I'm okay. I'm good. I didn't sin. I don't have issue. When you put on a mask, you're not being knit together in love. You're severing the connection that God has called us to be together. Rules and regulations cause us to wear, wear a mask to put on the front. We don't want that here. If you're struggling, let people know you're struggling. Why? Because I'm knit together with you in love. And when you're struggling, I feel it. And I want to help you up. When I'm struggling, I want you to feel it so you can help me up. We need each other. We're knit together in love. This church cannot be a church that meets just on Sundays and we don't ever see each other during the week. That's a pretty weak knit. We need to be there for each other, love each other, reach out to one another, allow God to transform us from the inside out. Rules and regulations, they put the power of our own freedom in our hands. I, don't know, I no longer need Jesus to be saved. He saved me now, I just need to do the right things, I just need to live the right way, and I'll be okay. Oh, if I'm struggling, I just need to try harder. I need to work harder. No, it's not your effort. It's Jesus that brings you freedom. It's Jesus that will transform you. It's not your effort. It's not your determination. It's not your drive that's gonna bring you freedom from addiction. It's the blood of Jesus. So look to him. Hold on to him. 
He can heal you. He can make you whole. He can transform you. It's only Jesus. When we trust in rules to save us, we stop trusting in Jesus, and that damages our relationship with him.